Hello and welcome to the NLCC Sermon Podcast. In a moment, we'll listen in on a message from our Sunday morning worship service. But first, if this is your first time tuning into NLCC, we would love for an opportunity to get to know you and walk with you in your faith journey. If you're interested in connecting with this church, head to our website, northliberty.cc, and hit the I'm New button or use the links in the description. Our goal is to help you experience the transformational power of God in your life. And we hope and pray that you find that in this message. Over this past year, God has done some awesome things through the power of the Holy Spirit here. We, we may not have seen some amazing miracles as described in the New Testament as Jesus went around healing and forgiving people uh, he encountered in life, but we have some of our own uh, NLCC miracles and wonders and signs uh, with the personal testimonies and changed lives, families and relationships that have been healed in many ways, of many baptisms, not just one, one uh, of, a, of a family member, but the entire families are being immersed into Jesus Christ. And each, each one is a beautiful picture of the redemptive work of Christ. And what an amazing God that we worship and serve. Amen? Now, as each person encountered Christ, they experienced the true nature of God, and thus their lives are being continually transformed into something pretty amazing. Each one, again, is a representation of God's love. Uh, those, those lives in the New Testament and those of today became Jesus in the flesh. They became real life examples of people who fell in love with Christ and in turn started to advance uh, the good news uh, that the world desperately needs to hear today. That, that Jesus came into the world to save his people from their sins. That God in the flesh, Emmanuel, is with us. Now, in our um, searching for answers back in uh, November, I ended with a message on forgiveness uh, just before Thanksgiving, giving the church an opportunity to experience a life of freedom from the pain and suffering mankind has brought into the world that only can be found through Jesus Christ, a relationship with him. And God's word tells us uh, to forgive one another from the heart as God has forgiven us of our sins against him, right? And I shared something pretty personal that I've never shared before uh, to demonstrate that I had the experience and authority uh, to speak into the discipline of forgiving others. That was uh, that I wasn't just standing up here uh, telling you to do something that I was unwilling to do myself. I, I won't play those kinds of games as a lot of Christians uh, do. And after that message on forgiveness, I received many contacts from people. And a lot of them were very familiar, very similar. So I kind of lumped some of them together. So forgive me uh, on that. But this is what some of them read. Tim, I want you to know that your sermon prompted me to send a message to someone that I hadn't quite forgiven, and I let them know that I do forgive them as I hope they can forgive me, and it's because of our gracious God. Thank you for always keeping it real and for not holding back when you can help others even when it's not easy. Pastor Tim, thank you for helping me take the right steps in forgiving someone. I called them and told them that I forgave them, that I needed to because God forgave me. Tim, I never thought someone would convince me to forgive what happened to me. I sent them the, the, the person an email uh, sharing uh, 
the message and, and that because of Jesus forgiving me, I am finally ready to let go and forgive them. Tim, I went to the cemetery today and had a hard conversation with the individual who hurt me and told, me that I, and told them that I forgave them. I, I, I had this weird feeling come over me as I walked away. Thank you for helping me understand why I need to forgive. Pastor Tim, I never thought I could do it, but you were right. The, the peace I immediately, immediately felt when I forgave, God is good. Pastor Tim, thank you for allowing God to speak through you to me. I've always said I would never forgive this person, but the Holy Spirit convicted me, and now I'm free from my hate and unforgiveness. Uh, Tim, thank you. Uh, it, was, uh, it was easier than I thought it would be. We both cried and forgave each other. Tim, thank you for sharing your story because it most definitely put things in perspective for me to forgive such a less painful experience in my life. I can't believe I hung on to that for so long. Tim, I appreciate your message, and I took your advice, and like I thought, it didn't go so well, but at least I forgave, and the rest is on them. Uh, Pastor Tim, I don't go to your church, but I had someone call me that attends there asking for and giving forgiveness because of something you shared. Thank you, and God bless your church. That's what being in a relationship with God is all about. That is the church. Uh, I thought, you know... Right now, I might end this year sharing with you the only uh, way miracles and signs and wonders like that, that this can happen within the body of Christ and prayerfully be taken into all the world so that men everywhere can experience God's goodwill, his peace, forgiveness, and love. I'm telling you, God is good. He really is. When God's, when God's people focuses on his son, good things happen. It's, it's just a thing. And we're going to even share a little of that next year, too. Um, but church, remember that Jesus Christ came to seek and save those who are lost. He came to heal the afflicted and the hurting. He came to bring spiritual healing to all of mankind. Those who seek after him with all of their heart will find him, according to the prophet Jeremiah in chapter 21. God just, he came through, uh, we just came through the Christmas uh, season and understand what the birth of Christ represents. And we cannot forget that as the body of Christ, as the bride of Christ. But why did and why does God continue to bless his people with grace, mercy, uh, forgiveness, compassion, joy, peace, and love? Well, the answer to any question as to why God came to earth covered in flesh is found in John 3, 16. And you all know that. So if you know it, just say it out with me. For God so loved the world. I'm going to stop there. It's clear right there. For God so loved the world. We know how the rest of this passage ends as Jesus goes to the cross to save his people from their sin. But I want you to know that Jesus going to the cross doesn't happen unless he comes in the flesh, born in a barn, to poor parents from the house of David. And that little boy grew into a Jesus who taught his followers in John chapter 13, one of our core values. Uh, he says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must it's not a, a recommendation, it's a command. You must love one another. By this, all men, the world will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Uh, a little background on Jesus being the legitimate and only Messiah from the house of David. Uh, he, here uh, are a few uh, prophecies about how and why he came. Uh, we know Jesus was of Jewish descent and therefore uh, was the seed of a Abraham. According to Genesis 22, it tells us that through Abraham's offspring, all nations will be blessed. Red, yellow, black, brown, or white. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. God came to save the world, not just one group of people. 
Christians believe Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise. We also know that he is from the line of Jacob, Abraham's grandson. In, in Numbers 24, it says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. And then from Isaiah chapter 11, we know he is from the line of Jesse, the father of King David. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. In Jeremiah 23, it tells us that uh, he is from the line of King David. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. This is the name by which he will be called, the Lord, our righteous Savior. We have this prophecy that Jesus is from the house of King David in 2 Samuel chapter 7, which was actually spoken by the prophet Samuel to King David himself. When your days are over and you rest with your fathers, basically dead and buried, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, who will come from your own body, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And then you have Micah's prophecy that we talked about a few weeks ago. It tells us that he was born in the, in the uh, tribe of Judah in the region of Ephrathah in the town of Bethlehem. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me the one who will be the ruler over Israel whose origins are from of old, uh, from ancient times. Isaiah chapter 7 says he was born from a virgin. Uh, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child, and she will give birth to a son, and you are to call him Emmanuel, which means God with us, indicating the divinity of Jesus Christ. So Jesus would be worshipped by shepherds from the desert areas and, and that foreign kings would present gifts to him found in Psalm chapter 72. May the desert tribes bow before him and his enemies lick his dust. May the kings of Tarshish and the distant shores bring tribute to him. May the kings of Sheba and Seba present him gifts. May all kings bow down to him and all nations serve him. And as you well know, when Jesus was born, King Herod went around murdering all the, the male babies two years and under to attempt to kill this new Messiah, this new baby king. And it's predicted, which was predicted in Jeremiah chapter 31, where it says, A voice is heard in Ramah, mourning and great weeping, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. If you remember, Rachel is the wife of Jacob, who had the 12 sons of uh, uh, the tribes of Judah, if you will. And, and, and in response to the, this attempt on his life, Joseph. Joseph is warned uh, by uh, an angel in a dream to take Jesus to Egypt where they stayed until Herod died. And Hosea says, when Israel was a child, I loved him and out of Egypt I called my son. You see how all this is fitting together? It's just a beautiful story. There are many pre predictions of Jesus' death, but I want to read one from Isaiah. It's not on the screen, but pay attention to the beauty and the ugliness of this. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from pe uh, whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took on him uh, our, our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted, but, we, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. 
We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, and yet he did not open his mouth. He, he was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears, it is silent. And so he did not open his mouth, but by oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people, he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his uh, death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will uh, see his offspring and, and prolong his days. And, he will, uh, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hands. And after he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. And by his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many. And he will bear their iniquities. He poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. He bore the sin of many and made intercession for transgressions. Church, I've only touched on the surface of why Jesus came to this earth in the flesh. Uh, and, and to bring truth to a false narrative about Jesus that's out there in the world. And don't get sucked into that. And also uh, the, the, to give, bring a little clarity to the war uh, between Israel and the Palestinian authority, you know, Hamas. Don't get caught up in that stuff. If you want to know what's going on in there, open up the word of God. Because this war has been going on since, since uh, God gave Israel that territory. That was part of their inheritance, part of their promise. Know the scriptures before you get caught up in the drama. But, but the main reason is to shed light on God's love for those who have, who have been created in his image. Adam and Eve fell uh, for Satan's schemes and brought sin into the world. God came up with a beautiful plan uh, that would demonstrate his redemptive work in the person of Jesus Christ. With Adam and Eve bringing a separation between God and man, and even with our own sin bringing that same kind of separation, God can't and won't stop loving his kids. And because of that love, he sent his only begotten son as an atonement for that sin. He paid the price in full with the blood of his son. That's why we celebrate the birth of Christ, right? Because of God's love. But I want you to listen to Paul, uh, his words to the Roman Christians who were, who were struggling, as a lot of people do today, with understanding this pure and perfect love that casts out all fear and doubt while in the midst of experiencing hate from the world, like we are today. But Paul writes this to the Roman Christians. What then shall we say in response to this, all the persecution? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will we not also, along with Jesus, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those who, who, whom God has chosen? It, it, it is God who justifies. Who is it that condemns Christ Jesus who died? And more than that, who was raised from the dead, who is now sitting at the right hand of God, and he intercedes for us. Who shall separate us from that kind of love uh, in Christ Jesus? Shall tribulation or hardships or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all of these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And for I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, height or, uh, heights or debts, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God which is found in Christ Jesus. Now there is nothing that I'm going to be able to say that can help you fully understand 
the love of God. Because from the time that we're little kids, we hear about it all the time. You know, we hear it in Sunday school and Christian school and youth group stuff and, and camps and the list goes on and on. Most of us have put our kids and grandkids to, to, to bed singing Jesus Loves You. You guys remember those days. Each time I get off the phone with my kids or they, they leave our presence, Miss Terry and I, we always communicate that we love them. We, you know, many of you, all of us have sent, when we send our kids off to school, we tell them that we love them. When, we, when they're going through a rough time, we tell them that we love them. And so from the time that we're all little kids, we hear about this love. And I think that that might be part of the problem for us in America. Uh, you come to worship and you hear about the love of God, and, but it's this, you've heard it a thousand times, as you, so you tune it out. You're not, you're not connecting with it. Ah, you know, I've heard this before. But how do, you, how do we understand the true meaning? Maybe for the first time, how do we rediscover God's love? I mean, we talk about loving sports and food and movies and hobbies and money and careers. Is it the same kind of love that God has for each one of us? How many of you loved your, your teams winning the last couple days in sports? Oh, you know, Notre Dame won. Woo, Purdue won. Yay. The list goes on and on. I love it. I hear it all the time. I love Dr. Pepper. I love pizza. I love my car. I love sport, my sports team. I can't wait for summer because I love warm, warm weather. I love fresh veggies. I love Thanksgiving and turkey. I love snow. I love, I love Christmas cookies. I love Marge's Buckeyes. I, I love my, my Christmas presents. I love, I love my Christmas carols. I, I love Jesus. I love. And so how, how do you take this word that's used for everything and say, is that the same kind of love that God has for us? Part of the problem is that we only have one word for love in our language. Love is the word that we're conditioned to describe how we feel about our kids, our grandkids, our spouses, and uh, medium rare steak cooked on a grill. Right? It's the same word. The same exact word. And we don't understand the difference. But Paul didn't have that kind of a problem. When he wrote the book of Romans, there was a few, a few words that love, uh, a few words that love could have described, um, uh, he could have used to describe uh, love and, 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 but, and how God feels about us, but he could have used the word eros, uh, referring to a romantic love that was mostly based on emotion. It was a sensual love that pushed for a physical uh, reaction. Paul could have used the uh, phileo um, word, which is the word that would have been used most of the time during Paul's day. It's the word you would have used to describe how you feel about uh, somebody you like, a close relative, things of that nature, to communicate closeness and loyalty. And if you get angry to the point of sin towards the, those that you claim to phileo love, and you abandon that relationship, then you are, in your own actions, you, are, you have demonstrated that you have no deep committed love for that for that relationship only a shallow one that says well while you're scratching my back I'll scratch yours which implies an eros kind of love not the agape kind of love there there is one word again that that love is the purest and it, it would not have been uh, used very often in Paul's day but it would have gotten the attention of the Roman hearers and even people today who are outside of Christ and it's that word that we, again, oft, don't, don't use very often, but it's the word agape. You guys have heard this before. Agape. Paul uses the word to describe God's love for us. It means committed, loyal, long-suffering, a selfless kind of love. It's not based on what we do. It doesn't ask for anything in return. It loves even when, when, when it's not loved back. God loves us with this unchanging, undeserved, unconditional love. And this kind of love is better understood through stories that Jesus would tell throughout the scriptures. And one of them is found in Luke chapter 15. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 15 where you can follow along. 
and it's uh, a father had two sons. You know the story. And the younger son broke his father's heart and said, Dad, give me the, my share of the inheritance. You know, I can't wait for you to die. I'm going to go out and enjoy life. And so dad divided up the property between his two boys. And it says the son went off to another country. He spent all of his money on wild living. And when the money ran out, he had to get a job. He was hungry. And so he's feeding a slot to pigs. And he's, he's famished himself. Oh, man, I got to eat something. And so he's thinking about eating the slop to these pigs. And then it says, when he came to his senses, he thought, my father's hired men are living better than I am right now. Maybe if I go home and beg dad for forgiveness, maybe I'll be lucky enough that where dad will treat me like one of his hired men. And so he heads home. And during his son's absence, it gives us impression that dad went out every day hoping and watching and praying his, for his son's return. And then one day, the father sees his son from a distance. And Jesus said, the father ran to him and put his arms around him and kissed him and said, let's have a party and celebrate for my son has come home. In other words, my son was dead, but now he's alive again. And this story gives us a picture of what love looks like through the heart and the eyes of our God. But there's another Old Testament story that doesn't make any sense. At least this one kind of did, but the other one doesn't. Where God was eager to communicate his love to his people, but he knew that he had, he had to, he's going to have to do more than just talk about it, and, you know, just through words. So he tells his prophet to go into the city and find a prostitute and marry her, okay? It's one thing to marry a prostitute, but to marry this prostitute by the name of Gomer, Okay, what parent names your daughter Gomer, okay? But you got to understand, back in those days, names meant something. They meant something, and Gomer meant complete fulfillment. That's what Gomer meant. Because when I think of Gomer, I'm thinking of Gomer Pyle, okay? And, and I grew up with that guy, and he was not complete. He was, you know. But Hosea does what God said. He finds her, and he marries her. That's what he does. And, and it's not just, he's not just submitting to God. Hosea begins to fall in love with this woman. Try to figure that one out. Marriage is, is feeling good for Hosea. And then one day he comes back home. The house is empty. The kids are left alone. And he gets a sick feeling in his stomach. And he goes down to the red light district. And he sees his wife in the arms of another man entering into a hotel. In Hosea, in chapters 1 and 2, he's crying out to God. God, you told me to do this, and I did it. You told me to marry her, and I did this. Why is this happening? What am I supposed to do now? And God says, I'll tell you what you're going to do, son. Chapter 3, here's what you're going to do. You're going to go back, and you're going to find her again. You're going to buy her back again. You're going to bring her home again, and you're going to show your love to her again. And Hosea's like, what? Are you flipping kidding me? How can I do this? Why do I have to do this? In chapter 3, verse 1, it says, this is the why. So that the people will know. So that the people will see. So that the people will understand how much I love them. Wow. That's nuts. If that doesn't teach us something about the love of God. His love makes no sense to us. It really doesn't. But his love is complete and fulfilled. The sad reality is that we have come to think of love in, in, in ways that fall short of, of how God actually loves us. And if we are brutally honest with, with this, think about why people love you. All right? We've been conditioned to think that there has to be a good reason. 
which is all based on how you feel on a particular day because of what is going on in your life at a particular moment. That's when I'll love or not love, depending on my circumstances. And so most people would say that they are loved because... They, they are loved because uh, they're, they're beautiful, they're funny, they're loved because they're successful, or maybe you're generous, or you're kind and wealthy because you haven't had any relational issues, because you're family, right? That's why you love these people. But if you, if you don't think love almost always has a because, go to any store and go to the card section and find cards on love, and it, it'll give you the reasons why somebody loves you. I love you because, and then it, underneath there it has the reason, Right? Those becauses, if that's a word, uh, put a lot of stress and expectations on relationships. And we've allowed the world to do this to us. If someone loves you because you're beautiful and successful and funny, what happens when that beauty and success is gone? What happens when they discover you're really just annoying, right? I mean, it took 39 years for Miss Terry to figure that out about me. Um, but she loves me anyway, Right? Seriously, what, what do you do when, when you, you lose the because? Because it's going to happen. That's our relationship with this idea of love. It's conditional and temporary depending on how you react to life experiences because love, love almost always has is, or is always based on something we bring to the table. We see it rarely in its purest form and that is hard for us to believe it even exists. Yet this is how God loves us. Church, he doesn't love you because you come to church every time the doors are open. Uh, you, he doesn't love you because you give 10% of your income back to the church. He doesn't love you because you, you, you saved for retirement or you're the smartest kid on the block. He doesn't love you because you dress better than everybody else or you drive a nicer car live in a nicer home. He doesn't love you because you were born on the right side of the tracks. That's not why God loves you. It has nothing to do with any of that stuff. He doesn't love because of anything. God is love. That's all it is. It's that simple. God is love. Church, the, the Christmas story, the resurrection Easter story, that's how you explain God's love, at least intellectually, right? But, but this, this, this is the kind of love that changes everything for everyone if they understood what this is about. And I know there are some who have a hard time believing that God would love anybody like that, especially a group like us. Maybe you believed it at one time and you stopped believing it because something painful or disappointing happened. And I get it, I do, but that's not, why, that's not what it's about. It's not about, it happens to be about God's love, not your definition of love and how you feel at any given time. That's not what this is about. When you come to understand a love like that, it transforms you. I'm not sure that even Christians understand this because if we did, I think it would show in our relationships in the good times and the bad times. That's our marriage vows. And those vows go across the board with our relationships in the good times and the bad times. Yes, we can get mad at each other and we can be disappointed in one another, but to devour and to hate and to leave family and friends high and dry reveals the condition of your heart. If we really understood what it's like to be loved like God loves, we would have a joy and a peace during any circumstances. We would not be a people of bitterness and resentment and hate, a people of revenge and malice. We would understand the way God loves us. It moves us to be more gracious and loving and, and, and forgiving towards other people. That's why we talked about forgiveness. Do you want God to forgive you? You've got to do the same. Because when you do so, you're demonstrating who God is. 
It's, it's not about keeping a list of rules or expectations, and it's not about feeling guilty about a sin you committed last week or years ago. It's not about being good enough for God to like you. It is about the love of God. This is why Paul was able to write what he wrote to the Roman church, because he felt there was this great need to explain something that cannot be fully exp- understood. But he knows that when we get a taste of the love of God, it's going to change everything for any of us if we get focused and real with ourselves. Verse 31 of Romans 8 says, What then shall we say in response to all of this? If God is for us, who can be against us? Now, when I read that question, if Tim Stewart's reading that question, I can come up with a list of people who don't like me, okay? And I'm okay with that. I don't flip and care because I have an audience of one. He's my, he's, my, he's my hero, okay? He's my God. But when we put this question in context, if God is for us, then it puts all those other stupid little things that we get so caught up in in proper perspective. And then who cares who's against us? Before you have your first cup of coffee, maybe even today, your kids are already arguing. Maybe you're arguing with your spouse. Maybe you've got a stressful day of work tomorrow, well, Tuesday. Um, God is for us, Right? Maybe your health is not so good. Your spouse crushed your heart and you don't know what to do. Well, guess what? God is for us. You've lost a loved one and you're drained emotionally. You drop the, work at, uh, the ball at work. God is for us. And I don't know what your list is. I really don't. But guess what? God is still for you. Nobody can take that away. And if God is for us, then who can be against us? Growing up, if anyone came against my mom, my sisters, myself, uh, or a, a family member, if anyone came uh, at any of us, my, and my dad found out about it, whether we liked it or not, going to be embarrassed about it, try to convince them otherwise, um, they were going to have to deal with him as well. They were going to have to. There was never any question what side my dad was going to land on. He was for family. Now, don't get me wrong. If we were in the wrong, then we had to make amends, but no one was going to get away with harming us. He was always on our side. And that's exactly the way God loves us. Exactly. It's the love that steps up, a love that protects, a love that defends. And so if God is for us, who can be against us? Verse 32 says, he who did not spare his own son, Now, this is the exact same wording that is used in the Old Testament to describe Abraham and what he did um, with with God and his own son Isaac. So the example would have been clearly understood by all Jewish people. Abraham was ready to sacrifice his son Isaac out of obedience and loyalty to his God. God intervenes, Isaac is spared, and God says to Abraham, you did not even spare your own son because of your love for me. That's all God was doing here, putting him to the test. There is no question that this analogy being made by Paul, that God's love for us is the same love that God or Abraham had for for God. Verse 32 says, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for all of us, how will he not also, along with Jesus, graciously give us all things? But again, who are we uh, for God to be that loyal and loving towards us? What Paul does here is he makes this, this great argument that goes from the greater to the lesser. And so we never have to question anything else he mentions after this particular fact. If God didn't spare his own son, which would be the greater, he won't spare anything lesser to show his love. And we are the lesser. God clearly demonstrated our worth as a person when he sent his only begotten son to die for our sins. And in verse 33, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. God is the only one who's able to cast stones. 
and he chooses not to. So who is left then to bring a charge against us, to pay the price? Verse 34 says, who is he that condemns? Someone had to pay for the price of the debt, right? And Paul shares who it was. Christ Jesus, who died. It was because of Jesus who died. And he goes, but ah, better than that, he came back to life in verse 34. Uh, he was raised from the dead, and he's now sitting at the right hand of God, and he's interceding for us. Jesus is now speaking on the behalf of all believers across every generation and every continent on our behalf, defending those who have put their trust in Jesus as Savior. That's what he's doing right now. And then Paul goes in for the, for the kill shot there in verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall troubles and hardships or persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered sheep to be slaughtered. He's making a reference to the actual persecution that's taking place in the church at that time. They were being murdered. They were being executed because they believed in God. And he says this in verse 37. No. None of that matters. He says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that death, nor life, angels, or demons, present, or future, powers, height, or depth, anything in all of creation, none of that will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so if you want to measure the love of God, stop looking at your life circumstances. Stop looking at what's going on in your life. I know it's painful at times, but stop doing that. If you want to know how much God loves you, you start looking at the birth of Jesus Christ and then take a hard look at the cross because that's a demonstration of his love right there. And if, it doesn't, if that doesn't want you to walk away from your life of sin, a life that, that you know, uh, woe is me kind of thing, I don't know what will. Jesus gave us word pictures to understand who, how, much his, how much his heavenly father loves us. And look how, how Paul uses the word love there in verse 37. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. The word loved Paul uses points to an event where the love of God was already demonstrated. Without question. He's talking about the crucifixion of Jesus assuring us that God's love is long, suffering, constant, and final. It is and always will be completed and fulfilled basically we've been gomered by god's love it's it's complete we see it in the life of christ all the stories in the new testament and for us in real time the testimonies of people whose lives have been changed because of jesus christ i think the 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 young man that was baptized this morning uh i, I think that might be number 50 this year we've never had that in the history of this church Tell me God doesn't love us. Tell me God doesn't know how to heal a church and to move a church forward for the namesake, his namesake, and that would be Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what the church is supposed to be doing, lifting high the namesake of our Heavenly Father, Jesus. And when a church gets focuses on Jesus, then guess what can happen in 2024? We had an unbelievable year this year. And next year can be much greater. If the entire body of Christ begins to share, to advance, to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you found value in this message, then we want to encourage you to subscribe to this channel. And if you know someone who needs to hear this message, then please share it with them. 
NLCC has another podcast called The Other Six, where we discuss what it looks like to have an everyday faith on the other six days of the week. You can find that wherever you listen to your podcasts, or there's a video version on our YouTube channel. Thank you for listening in and participating with us. We look forward to doing this again with you next week.